welcome to the wonderful world of psychology. This is episode one of So About Your Advice, and I'm your host, Emily Aaron. I'm a graduate student studying clinical psychology and learning every day about the weird, frustrating, beautiful, fascinating ways our minds work. Psychology is all about exploring the human psyche and how it really drives every single one of our behaviors and influences our interactions with other people and in the world around us. As a student learning about the intricacies of our minds and how we can really understand our own mind better, I decided to share what I'm learning with all of you. My own experience in therapy and studying in this field has just really shown me how powerful an awareness of our own thoughts and feelings can be in determining how we behave and how we live our lives. To really make this entire journey maybe a bit more meaningful and more personal, (laughs) I'm going to start this off with some background on how I got to this point. I spent years, literally years, dedicating myself and sacrificing a lot of experiences along the way, all trying to get to medical school. I thought I wanted to be a doctor for so long, and when I finally got the acceptance call to one of my top choices, I was just overjoyed. I was screaming, I was crying, I was calling every single person I knew. I just wanted everyone to know that I had achieved something amazing that I had been working so hard towards. I spent the next couple months really just living it up. You know, I went to every restaurant, I hung out with every single one of my friends in the city that I call home, and I just really tried to enjoy my time before I had to move and kind of start this new chapter. As it got closer, I got a little bit more worried. I kind of started to think more about the reality of the choice I had made and kind of started to really reevaluate the lifestyle and the career trajectory that I was facing. I started to feel a lot more anxious about the decision and I honestly started to question my choices and really started to analyze if this was something I wanted for my future. I've always had anxiety, so I've often had periods of fear or panic or worry or uncertainty, but this particular experience really was unlike anything I'd ever had in the past. I had so much overwhelming panic that suddenly I couldn't focus on anything else but this question over and over again of, is this the right choice? I worried pretty much every single minute of every single day for months about what I wanted to do with my life, and what would my life look like if I decided not to go to med school. Finally, my mom gave me a piece of advice that, honestly, she's been saying over and over again to me since I was a kid. (laughs) Advice is a really funny thing. It can be so helpful, and it can save us from making really terrible decisions, aka do not cut your own bangs after a breakup. Seriously, it's not worth it. (laughs) But it can also cause more harm than good if it's coming from the wrong place or the wrong person or if it's coming with less than pure intentions. Advice is littered all over the internet and social media. It's literally thrown at us every single day. And it can be really hard to figure out what is worth implementing in our life and what maybe isn't a good fit for us. This podcast is going to do things a little bit differently. Here we're going to explore pieces of advice I've received in the past from friends and family and experts and really analyze the psychological factors that are at play with every single one. We're going to discuss some scientific reasoning behind the efficacy 
or not of certain pieces of advice, and then some common psychotherapy techniques that you can use to implement these pieces of advice into your own life. Today on this episode, we're going to start with the piece of advice that really began this whole journey. This one tiny little phrase that honestly saved me from my downward spiral and sent me in a very different, wholly welcome path of life. It's something I'm sure all of us have been told at least once, and if you're like me, you've probably also rolled your eyes at it at least once. Don't worry so much. Yeah, because everyone loves being told this when they're worrying about something. I've heard my mom say this to myself, my siblings, pretty much anyone that ever came to her for help she's told this to. And yes, it seems so simple to achieve, but the reason why I hated it for so long was because it was so hard to really implement it into my life. We're going to go over some background first before we delve into this particular piece of advice. Anxiety is one of the most pervasive experiences in human nature. It's one of the most detrimental to our comfort and happiness, but it's also universal. We've all felt feelings of anxiety or fear at some point in our lives. The American Psychological Association, or APA for short, defines anxiety as an emotion characterized by feelings of tension, worried thoughts, and physical changes such as increased blood pressure. The APA also delineates between anxiety and fear, which is really important because fear is considered a normal, healthy human response. It's usually in response to a particular and clearly defined threat Fear makes sense. It's a normal reaction to something that might throw us off balance or something that we're worrying over. Anxiety is more long-lived. It's usually in relation to broader, more vague threats, and it can be really long-lasting and very pervasive over our life. More severe cases of anxiety, of course, can fall into more diagnostic categories, so generalized anxiety disorder, GAD, things like that. Today and in future episodes, we're usually going to be talking about not the diagnostic level. So we're going to be talking about more milder forms of these symptoms um, just to kind of go over how all of us can reduce these unhealthy or unwanted feelings in our life. There's a holistic psychiatrist by the name of Dr. Ellen Vora who wrote a book called The Anatomy of Anxiety, and in it she tells us that anxiety can be induced by a whole host of factors. She writes that anxiety can often be attributed to physiological or environmental causes, things like poor diet, not enough exercise, doom scrolling on TikTok every night, literally all me. (laughs) But all of these things can really decrease our overall health and, by extension, increase our body sensations of unease or physical distress. Dr. Vora claims that this type of anxiety, which she dubs false anxiety, can be fixed by changing the habits that are really causing the physiological unease. So stop doom scrolling on TikTok until three in the morning and actually get some sleep, Emily. (laughs) Once the body's imbalances are addressed and corrected, any remaining anxiety is then the signal of some deeper emotional turmoil. So essentially, Dr. Vora is saying that anxiety is an alarm system. It's alerting us that something is off and needs to be addressed, whether that's external, like a relationship, a job, or something internal. Maybe, like I said, we're not getting enough sleep. I really like Dr. Vora's definition because unlike some of the other thoughts about anxiety, she's really acknowledging that it can be beneficial. She's acknowledging that it is a way for our body to signal to us, hey, something's not right. 
we should probably take a look at it and try to correct it. So anxiety can manifest in physical symptoms, even if it really is stemming from those kind of deeper emotional causes. And the Mayo Clinic, which is a great resource, but please do not go on it and then diagnose yourself with everything. I've done that. It is not healthy. (laughs) The Mayo Clinic lists some symptoms of anxiety as the following. Feeling nervous, restless, or tense. Having a sense of impending danger or doom. Increased heart rate and breathing rapidly. Sweating, trembling, feeling weak or tired. Trouble thinking about anything beyond the current worry. Having trouble sleeping. And having the urge to avoid things that trigger the anxiety. I'm sure most of us have felt at least one of these symptoms at least once in our life. I personally can recall pretty much every time I had to do a presentation for class or a figure skating competition back in my glory days, I would often get that feeling of increased heart rate, my breathing would become more rapid, and I would have a lot of trouble thinking about anything beyond that particular event that was causing the anxiety. So in these scenarios, the anxiety symptoms make sense. They're alerting us to something. They're keeping us focused. They're keeping us aware of our surroundings. And they're helping us to not drift off when there is something upcoming that we really need to focus on. However, there have also been times in my life where I feel these symptoms without a specific cause. There is no upcoming event that's causing me worry and stress. And I'm having these symptoms that are pervasive and becoming worse and worse and worse and are accompanied by this sense of doom, and there is no specific cause. Especially the year right after college, I started feeling a very pervasive sense of anxiety over the future, and I started just going into these thought spirals of negativity. And it really started to interfere with my life, and this is exactly when it becomes a problem that needs to be addressed. In psychology, any mental health disorder, including generalized anxiety disorder, is usually diagnosed only if the symptoms start to significantly impact the person's life or the lives of those around them. I believe this kind of applies to more mild mental health issues as well. So a lot of people have felt worry at least once in their life. But what do we do when the anxiety becomes more of a problem? What do we do when it's longer lasting and it's not going away and it's really interfering with our daily life? How do we actually implement my mom's advice of don't worry so much? As Dr. Vora states in her book, again, if you're interested, I highly recommend you go read it. Exercise, healthy eating, making sleep a priority, cutting back on alcohol and drugs. These are all steps that can help us reduce overall anxiety and help us manage daily stressors. My life personally feels significantly more peaceful and problems seem a lot more manageable when I'm consistently working out and eating healthy foods and getting enough sleep. These steps in general can take a lot of forms and will truly vary for every single person. For example, I love to run. I feel like it helps my anxiety so much. My sister hates running and instead practices yoga, and that helps her a lot. All of these steps reduce anxiety and increase mindfulness. They're really all different roads leading to the same destination. So for more examples, one of my closest friends is doing dry January, and she's trying to reduce the amount of anxiety she feels after drinking alcohol. Another one of my friends is trying to get more sleep. She's just been noticing that like little stressors in her daily life have really started to impact her a lot. And she realized it's because she's been getting a lot less sleep lately. So she's increasing her sleep to see if that helps with dealing with those kind of daily life issues. 
I completely cut out coffee in my life, except for the occasional espresso martini, because how are you supposed to turn down the occasional espresso martini? But I cut out coffee, I cut out most forms of caffeine in general, and I've noticed a significant reduction in my anxiety. And it really helped so much with avoiding those kind of anxious, negative spiral thoughts that I was drowning in. So I scoured the internet when I was going through this decision and dealing with anxiety, and I really looked for every single tip and trick on how to manage stress and anxiety. And I just wanted to share a couple things that I found with you guys. I'm sure you've already heard at least some of these and probably are already doing some of these, but they're really, really helpful and I want to reiterate them. The first one is seemingly stupid (laughs) and seems like such a small, unimportant step, but it really can help so much. And that's to breathe deeply. Breathing deeply and intentionally really helps lower your heart rate. And lowering your heart rate is important because one of your body's physical symptoms of heightened arousal when you're in a moment of anxiety is increased heart rate. And this actually explains why coffee and caffeine can make us feel anxious. They increase our heart rate, and thus our body is reacting in a heightened arousal state, and we start feeling anxious. Dr. Andrew Wheel created what's called the 478 technique. It's based off of ancient yoga practices, and it's exactly like what it sounds. You inhale for four seconds, you hold your breath for seven seconds, and then you exhale everything in one big whoosh for eight seconds afterwards. It does kind of feel weird at first, but it's very helpful. It's been proven to help reduce symptoms of anxiety. It's also actually been proven to help people fall asleep as well. So if that's something you're having trouble with, this is also a great tip to practice. My second tip is go on a walk. Bonus points if you're outside in nature. (laughs) There's been a ton of research on the correlation between being out in nature and being in the outdoors and having decreased anxiety. And the exercise component of a walk will only help with this and will only help reduce the negative thought patterns and bring you back down to a more peaceful, relaxed state. My next step is something that works really well for me. Obviously, this depends on the person, but writing down your thoughts can be very helpful. For a lot of people, writing down the anxious thoughts helps bring them out of your head a little bit. The way it works best for me is to write out the entire anxious thought, aka let yourself go all the way to the most catastrophic end you can possibly think of, and then stop and write the more realistic outcome. So every time I do this, I always make a quote-unquote but actually section at the end, and I give myself the more realistic version of the scenario, and I give myself the more logical conclusion rather than the catastrophic end that I usually envision. The next step is a little bit more complicated and it may take some more time. It may even require a little bit of help from maybe a mental health professional, but identifying your triggers is very important in understanding your anxiety. What I mean by this is you really have to start paying attention to what events or situations or environments are triggering your anxiety And this is going to help you understand how to deal with it in the future. Oftentimes, the triggers of our anxiety are things we're not always going to be able to avoid. So the best way to work through this is to really identify why it's causing that symptom. Why is it causing you to react that way? Only then will you be able to kind of learn how to react in a better way 
and learn how to deal with the trigger without letting the anxiety overrun your mind. My last tip is personally my favorite, and that is to go do something social. Get together with friends, call a family member, even just go to a coffee shop and just exist around other people. It's so important to remember we're social creatures and we really need that human connection to feel grounded and to feel at peace with our surroundings. So this one, again, is my favorite because it's also fun. I love hanging out with my friends and it really always helps me feel a little bit more grounded. It brings me down to reality a little bit. Okay, many of us already have heard or know about these steps, and a lot of us are probably already practicing them. But what happens when we're doing these things and we're trying to manage our stress, but we still experience those periods of overwhelming anxiety? What can we do to get out of that mindset and bring us back towards peace and contentment? This is the million-dollar question. At least it was for me. (laughs) I was doing all of these things and more to try to reduce my stress and manage my anxiety, and I was still having those moments of intense panic. And then I discovered mindful meditation. Meditation is one of the first places mental health experts and spiritual gurus will point people towards when they ask about how to lessen anxiety. Meditation is a practice that can be very difficult and can honestly be kind of uncomfortable at first. I was a lifelong skeptic, so I actively rejected any suggestions of it and laughed it off, honestly, as just a waste of time. But with the looming decision about med school and all the anxiety that was coming along with it, I finally kind of started to realize that I couldn't handle my anxiety with just a little run and a little jot in my journal. (laughs) I had to look for something more. And the person who ended up guiding me towards trying meditation was, of course, my mom. She loves meditation, and she has been practicing it for a while, but it can be really intimidating for someone who's just starting out. There's an overwhelming amount of books, videos, podcasts, and experts spouting off different recommendations and different guides and wanting you to buy their products to help you meditate, and it can be really difficult to figure out what the best way to go about it is for you. A lot of the advice is sprinkled or heavily doused in spiritual guidance, which as someone who's not super spiritual or religious, it didn't really click for me. If that is something you're interested in, absolutely go for it. There are so many amazing resources that will help you connect spiritually as you're meditating. But for me, at least, I'm skeptical and my mom knew that about me. So she sent me a book called 10% Happier. Suddenly in this book, I had found words about meditation and anxiety that just really resonated with me. The author, his name is Dan Harris, explains the physical feelings and thoughts that were running through his head when he was first trying meditation. And he really helped me realize that meditation is not something you perfect. It's not something that you try and suddenly, boom, you're an expert. It's really something you have to work on continuously. And he describes that active work of trying to clear the mind of all anxieties and focus more on the present moment is exactly the benefit of it. The work itself is the meditation. I'm not going to go into too much detail about the book. I highly recommend if you're interested to go read it. It really changed my perspective on stress and anxiety and meditation. And it's just very well written, so highly recommend. But after reading this book and doing a lot of research on meditation, I finally decided, okay, I'm just going to dip my toe in. I'm going to try it out and see what happens. 
I carved out about five minutes every morning and I would just sit in bed and listen to a guided meditation video and really try my hardest to clear my mind of all the thousands upon thousands of thoughts running through my brain. And I immediately failed. And I failed again and again. And I failed pretty much every day that I tried it. I really was not achieving any sort of what I considered to be success with meditation. And I was getting so frustrated that finally one day I just gave up and I just stopped doing it. And ironically, of course, a couple days after I stopped doing it, I had one of the worst panic attacks I had about the med school decision. At the time, I was at my parents' house and my poor dad watched me pace and cry and freak out for hours while I was in this panic attack. And then finally, he said, all right, that's it. And he took me and two surfboards and we packed up his truck and we drove to the ocean. And the sun was just starting to set and the whole sky was casting this really beautiful pink glow over the ocean. And so we swam out and my dad is a really good surfer. So he just immediately started riding every single wave. But I just sat there for a second and there were really no other surfers around me at the time. So my entire sightline was just the ocean and the horizon and the sunset. And I just sat and felt the summer air kind of on my skin. And I felt the really cold water on my feet and my legs that were hanging off my surfboard. And I just for a second felt nothing and thought nothing but those current sensations. All of the intrusive thoughts that are constantly running through my brain just kind of quieted and I just really felt the sensations of my present moment. After I fall off my surfboard many times into the ocean because I love it but I'm not great at surfing, we packed up and headed home and I felt more relaxed than I had in months. I felt like the overwhelming panic had finally subsided and I was able to think logically and clearly without the anxiety really overrunning my brain. And the very next day, I made the decision to give up my seat in med school. I made the decision and obviously it was terrifying, but the seat went to someone who was probably much more qualified than me and definitely who wanted it more. So it was a very terrifying decision and I was still really anxious about it. But for the first time, I felt like I was attacking it in a logical way. I was able to think really clearly about it without being trapped in that frozen terror that I had been feeling. This whole experience kind of showed me that meditation doesn't have to follow a guided path. It doesn't have to look like someone sitting cross-legged on the ground with their eyes closed, their hands resting on their knees as incense burns around them. It really looks different for everyone. And for me, meditation is just focusing as much as possible on physical sensations and really finding that deeper connection with your body and trying to focus on the present moment. Repeatedly pulling my concentration away from that tangled mess of thoughts that exists in my brain and learning how to dissociate from the intrusive thoughts helped me to really understand them better. I'm able now to notice them as they come into my brain. I can kind of accept their presence almost and feel the emotions associated with them. And then I just let them go. I'm really so much more conscious of experiencing the emotions that they bring up without letting them overwhelm me. Although it might sound weird 
to want to separate yourself from your thoughts, I really encourage you to try meditation because it at least helps you be more mindful of your thoughts. And it really helps you be more intentional about the way you're thinking about the world and the way you're viewing yourself. Just a reminder here, anxious thoughts are not reality. They are not the truth. They are not the end-all be-all. They are just that, anxious thoughts. A lot of psychologists don't even consider them part of your own personality or your own brain anymore. Our thoughts are all a product of external stimuli that we're receiving from friends, family, social media, movie, news, all of that. We're taking in so much information and our brain is just trying to make sense of it. So anxious thoughts are called intrusive for a reason. They are not part of us. It is not our core being telling us this is how things are. It is just an anxious thought. Instead of letting myself get caught up within each dooming thought, I really have reached a point where I can feel the emotions associated with the thought and then let it go. I can release them without feeling gripped in that panic. And after a lifetime of feeling out of control and feeling like panic and anxiety was in the driver's seat, I feel like I'm finally back in control. I'm the one making the decisions now. I'm the one getting to decide what I do with my life and what I say and what I do. And it's not anxiety as the driving force anymore. Mindful meditation really has helped me stop worrying. Or at least worry less. (laughs) And in that process of learning to manage my daily stress and worries and how to deal with those in moments of more intense panic, I realized how much energy I had to spend on other things. And I kind of learned how to experience emotions without letting them overtake me. Stress management and dealing with anxiety really is key to living in a mindful manner, and it can open the door to increase peace and happiness. So although it may sound like simple advice, don't worry so much is really important. It's been the turning point in my life, and although it may be easier said than done, it's very helpful and I urge you all to try it as best you can. Okay, I wanted to share a few quick things before the end of today's episode. First and foremost, I am not your therapist. I am not replacing the value of a therapist or psychologist or psychiatrist or any other mental health expert. This podcast is meant to be informative and entertaining and help you get a little bit more insight into some commonly heard pieces of advice. Again, I am in no way replacing the value of talking to someone, and if you feel like you need to talk to someone, I encourage you, please, please, please visit our website, soaboutyouradvice.com. We have an entire page dedicated to mental health resources that can help you or a loved one who's struggling. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in this week. Hopefully you learned a little something and maybe have some new tools on how to deal with anxious thoughts and stress management. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at So About Your Advice and join the Facebook group if you're so inclined. And if you're feeling it, maybe even tell a friend or two who may want to hear some advice or who you may think needs some advice. (laughs) We're going to be back next week with some more suggestions, so make sure to return to So About Your Advice. As always, keep it kind, mend your mind, and we'll chat next week.